Okay, we're recording. So welcome to an impromptu impact show. This is our first televised show where we didn't have it planned. Uh, it was last night I was reading an article about Elizabeth Schneider, who's from the Pacific Northwest where the IMA has a strong presence uh, within Seattle, Portland, uh, the whole Pacific Northwest market, which is one of my favorite places in the world. Elizabeth is uh, on our show from Seattle, and I really appreciate your time, Elizabeth. Uh, maybe you can introduce yourself to our audience. Hi, everyone. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So yes, I um, am in my mid-30s. I live in Seattle. I've lived here for about three years. I'm coming up on my three-year anniversary. I have a PhD in bioengineering. I did did molecular biology research in my undergrad and also in graduate school. And I started off my career uh, working in technical sales. And then I moved to a company up here in the Pacific Northwest working for a biotech company. And then in August of 2018, I switched over to marketing. So I'm the marketing program manager and I do inbound and outbound marketing um, for all of our um, products. Great. Well, thank you for that wonderful introduction and that background. Well, Elizabeth, a lot of times when we do our impact show, when we're interviewing the subject, it's, it's usually someone who has done some thought leadership in their industry, and they've created some amazing ways, whether it's an AI, virtual reality, something around internet marketing innovations, or, or any, any sort of industry for that matter. You're creating impact in a much different way, uh, probably in a way a month ago you didn't think you'd be doing. Tell us a little bit about what you've been going through. I, I read about you yesterday on a very large national news site, and it piqued my interest right away. Uh, being a digital marketing leader, serving thousands of members around the world, I felt, you know, I've got to take a role in this and try to get my engineering mind around it. Because anytime there's a problem, be it a global pandemic or uh, site code on a, on a WordPress site, my brain is always looking for a solution. And this is one where I feel like there necessarily isn't a solution, but there's, there's individuals that have gone through it. So if you don't mind taking us through what you've been through over the past couple of weeks with coronavirus and your experience through it that, that I read in print last night, maybe you can give us kind of a video uh, version of that. Sure, be happy to. So my whole story and my experience that has led to me becoming sort of, I guess, the global face of the coronavirus uh, started um, a little over two weeks ago. So I went to a house party on Saturday, February 22nd. I got invited to this house party by a good friend of mine. It was a typical house party where everyone brought food. We had a potluck and there were just drinks, cocktails, wine and beer. We were just socializing. Um, everyone was uh, ranging in age from, you know, their 30s to even their um, lower 60s or um, a very, you know, uh, vibrant, you know, group of people with a lot of different backgrounds. Um, I had a lovely time. Three days later on Tuesday, February 25th, I woke up in the morning and I was quite tired. I felt fatigued. I thought perhaps that maybe I had just overdone it the previous weekend. I, I had been out a lot. So I just sort of chalked it up to the fact that I was tired. I uh, got ready. I went to work. About midday, I started getting this uh, feeling of malaise. I started getting a headache, feeling really tired, having body aches, feeling that I had an elevated temperature. So I decided it was probably a good idea to go home and work from home for the rest of the day. It wasn't until the early evening that I took a nap and woke up and I realized that I had a 101 degree fever, that I thought that something was wrong and I definitely was sick. 
at that point, I didn't immediately alarmingly think that it was coronavirus. And this was over two weeks ago. And at that point, if we rewind back in time, there were some coronavirus cases in the United States, um, most of them here in Washington state, but it wasn't as big of an issue and it had not spread to such a degree at that point. So I immediately didn't think that. Um, also, I didn't have any respiratory symptoms. I didn't have a cough. I didn't have any shortness of breath or tightness in my chest. By the time I went to bed that evening, my fever was 103 degrees, which was a little bit alarming. Um, you know, I couldn't remember the last time that I had such a high fever, but I went to bed. I took some over-the-counter medications and, you know, hoped that that would help. And when I woke up the next morning, it was thankfully down to 101. Mm -hmm. Over the next several days, I thought literally that I had just gotten a nasty strain of the flu. I drank a lot of water, I took vitamins, I took over-the-counter medications, and I started feeling better. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until I happened to look on Facebook that I saw that a group of people who had been to the party had all gotten sick um, collectively on the same day, that Tuesday after the party, and we were all describing the same types of symptoms. And so you sort of on your own discovered this just by seeing it on Facebook, and from there, you connected with these other individuals. And, and how did you go from, from overcoming these symptoms? You know, you, you, you took the, the, the Tylenol, your fever went down, but now all of a sudden you discover something else is going on. And how did it go from there to coronavirus? Yeah, that's a great question. So we were talking earlier when you introduced the show about the power of, of communication mm -hmm. in marketing. And, you know, I think that a lot of people sort of bemoan social media and that it has become the bane of our existence. But I do think that um, the connectivity that we have with the rest of folks in the world is really changing the way that we interact with each other and is changing the way that we share knowledge. And, you know, so I really credit um, Facebook and having someone from the party post that they were ill um, for us to kind of all band together and realize that we were both ill with similar symptoms and we fell sick um, at the same time, you know, after the party. So what ended up happening is that, you know, I did continue to get better. I did not go to the doctor because I was feeling better and recovering on my own. And as I mentioned previously, I didn't have any respiratory symptoms. So I had no real reason to think that it was the coronavirus. Um, several of my friends who got sick did go to the doctor and their doctor thought that they had the flu just like I did, tested them for flu, it came back negative, and they were all pretty much sent home. They were not tested for the coronavirus. They were told to just stay home and rest. Um, how I found out that I was testing positive for COVID-19 is that within that group of friends, um, through a thread on Facebook on one post, someone had posted about a research study happening in Seattle called the Seattle Flu Study. And I had seen Facebook ads for this study. They were recruiting volunteers and uh, originally it started out as just a research study testing for different strains of the flu within the community in Seattle. And it's a study between the University of Washington, Seattle Children's and Fred Hutch Cancer Research Center. But as the outbreak of coronavirus increased, they decided um, against um, potential um, ethical quandaries of not having um, gotten that approved in their institutional review board documents to go ahead and test people for coronavirus as well. So my friend suggested, hey guys, you know, we're curious what we all have. Um, you know, we tested negative for the flu. Um, let's sign up for this study. And so one by one, we all signed up for the study, took um, nasal swabs and mailed it back to the University of Washington. And then lo and behold, this past Saturday, March 7th, I got a call from the research coordinator for the study saying my sample tested positive for COVID-19. 
Got it. Wow. And, and how insightful. And uh, I, I can't wait to share this with Mark Zuckerberg and our friends at Facebook to really <laughs> to put it in perspective, because obviously there's, there's two sides to that coin. There's the, the pandemic fear, the ap apocalypse, all this theories and, and you know, that there's that side of, of, of social media. But then this is the real side of bringing us together, giving us real knowledge, giving us facts, working with university, being diagnosed. This is saving lives. This is changing lives. And this is, this is important information for general society to be aware of. And, and it is something that obviously as a medium, social media has different perspectives to it. So it's very refreshing to hear that. So take us a little bit through the journey. You get that phone call. Did your heart sink? Were you in shock? I, I think one of the great messages that I got out of your article was about fear and panic and your advice for the general world. Can you take us through a us a little bit through that? Sure, I'd be glad to. So yeah, I think that I was a little bit lucky because when I was actually sick, I didn't have any indication that I had coronavirus. And by the time I got the call on Saturday that I had it, I was mostly recovered and I was feeling well and I thought I, I was better. Mm -hmm. So initially when I got the phone call, I was definitely a bit shocked. I had no reason to believe that it was the coronavirus. Um, I was shocked, um, but I was also a little bit relieved because now I knew that likely all the other people at the party, that's what they had. And so the mystery was a, a little bit solved. We still don't really know who we ended up contracting it from at the party. No one at the party was displaying any symptoms. No one was coughing or sneezing or feeling unwell or having a fever. But honestly, after I got over that initial shock, um, I was uh, intellectually curious, to be honest. So um, my background is I have a PhD in bioengineering um, from the uh, University of California, Berkeley. Um, you know, I ha have a chemical engineering degree, so I'm also an engineer, you know, at heart, and I love to solve puzzles and understand why things work and how. Um, and so, you know, from that uh, experience and my background and the fact that I've done molecular biology research in college and grad school, and I currently work as a marketing program manager for a biotech company, I was really intrigued. I was, um, you know, a little bit pleasantly surprised because at that time there were only, you know, a thousand or several thousand cases um, within the United States. Right. And so, Take us through uh, how you got to the end of that. And uh, again, you know, for the general public that's reading all this, uh, school closures, you know, the world is changing, events are getting canceled, sporting events, our regular life has shifted. I think there's uh, obviously a, a subconscious in all of us, uh, a fear, a panic, because it's, it's, it's a scenario that is unprecedented. Uh, there's two scenarios. There's the, the wave that's so, so slowly hitting all of us uh, as far as our, our life and lifestyles. And there's also the disruption to life. But if someone contracts coronavirus, what is your advice in, in how to stay above that fear and panic? And what's your advice on how to go through it? And I know that that may change based on age demographic, but I'd love to get your opinion on that. Yeah, so I would definitely repeat what I've said in other media outlets. I would just remain calm. I would not necessarily panic. It is true that this virus is relatively new to the scene and it hasn't been infecting humans for that long. But the human body and our immunology systems have evolved over thousands of years. And we do have the capabilities internally within our immune systems to fight off um, invading pathogens like the coronavirus. And, you know, I think that 
there are a lot of people out there that are being infected with this virus and they don't even really know it. They think that they just have um, a, a mild to nasty cold or in my case, the flu and people are recovering well on their own and they're getting better, um, you know, just from self care. So I would definitely, you know, not panic and I'm living proof and I'm sure there are a lot of other people out there who are living proof as well that you can get over it and, and you can um, recover. But, you know, I would also definitely emphasize that, as you said, there are people who are having really serious life-threatening symptoms due to this virus and people are dying. Um, here in King County, we have several nursing homes where there's elderly people and we're getting um, news reports every day of more people dying. So that's really disheartening. And I think that's what scares people the most. And so I would say that at this point, if you have been tested for coronavirus and you tested positive, if you have mild to moderate symptoms, and you don't have anything life-threatening, please stay at home, please self-isolate and, and quarantine yourself and be mindful of others around us in our community who are older, um, who have um, compromised immune systems, who have just had chemo because they had cancer or who have just had surgery. Um, but the other thing too I wanna tell everyone is that right now it might look a little bit scary um, but, you know, over time, as more and more people are going to get tested and realize, realize that they had it and that they recovered, the denominator in that death rate calculation is going to get bigger and bigger. And the death rate, I think, is going to continue to go down as we see this outbreak progress. Right. And I mean, just looking at your bioengineering background and, and you know, you got your uh, doctorate in philosophy, I would just love to... I mean, you, you, coronavirus messed with the wrong person because it sounds like <laughs> thinking about how this is going to play out. And from your physician cap, what are your thoughts on this compared to previous strains and viruses dating back to the Spanish flu and, and these others? Do, do you feel this is going to roll out like H1N1 or, or any of these other SARS? Any thoughts to that? And it's very tough to predict, obviously, but do you know? how long it'll take before we'll really know what the long-term impact's gonna be of this from a, a healthcare standpoint, and also from a vac vaccination standpoint, how, how we're gonna uh, work against this. Uh, any thoughts to that? Yeah, so I mean, I don't think that we're gonna see anything like the, the 1918 Spanish flu. I mean, that was a pretty virulent strain. And also at that time, people didn't really have good hygiene habits. Right. Um, you know, and a lot of people, no one really had paid sick time. So they were just going around and they were going to work and they were, they were spreading it. And, you know, we didn't have public sanitation as much as we do now. And we also didn't have, you know, the medicines that you um, can use to mitigate your symptoms. So I definitely don't think it's going to be anything like that. On the other side, um, I would look at the um, Ebola outbreak. I mean, hemorrhagic fever is a horrible, horrible disease and it's very, very frightening. And we're not at that point yet in terms of you know, the infectious pathogen that's making its way around the world. Mm -hmm. I do think that this is gonna be more in line with the other SARS, um, MERS outbreaks that we've seen in the past. It does appear that I believe as of today, um, on uh, this Friday, uh, March 13th, that I think the WHO called this a pandemic. I don't know if it was today or yesterday. So it's definitely something that we need to work on as a collective community in different countries and governments to get under control and make sure that we protect our most vulnerable um, populations. Mm -hmm. I suspect that this will probably continue to play out over the next six months to a year. In terms of vaccine development, 
um, you know, it does take some time um, to, you know, do research in the lab and then do clinical trials and clinical trials are being fast tracked. Mm -hmm. um, we could see something, you know, by the end of the year. I actually signed up for a research study through the University of Washington, where they are recruiting people that have had coronavirus and have survived, and they're going to be drawing our blood over a series of weeks to help develop um, a therapy and potentially a vaccine. Awesome. At University of Washington, I can't speak highly enough. Uh, we have a great partnership with the Bothell School of Business, and uh, it's wonderful that that lab is, is virtually down the street from you and you have that great connection. I'm curious, Elizabeth, what's going on right now? Are you in self-quarantine? Uh, can you give us a little bit on, on what, what your life is like now? So fortunately, when I got the call on Saturday about the positive test, I, I was feeling better and I was recovered. The guidelines that they told me on the phone from the UW, University of Washington, Seattle flu study were the guidelines that have been published here in King County in uh, Washington in the Seattle area. And those guidelines are if you do fall sick, and you've been tested positive for coronavirus, you should stay home for seven days after the onset of symptoms right. or 72 hours after your fever has subsided. And I passed um, you know, the seven day mark earlier. Um, and then also at this point, I believe I'm um, more than two weeks over the onset of my symptoms. And it's definitely been more than, um, substantially more than 72 hours since my fever subsided. Now, interestingly, I've been getting comments from around the world because different governments are handling this differently. Some governments are hospitalizing every single person who has contracted it, regardless if it's a mild or extreme case. And then they're not letting you out of quarantine until you test negative two and three times. Because I'm not in that situation, I haven't necessarily you know, gone out and gotten a second test to see that I'm negative. Right. Um, it's entirely possible that the virus still circulates in your system at very, very low levels, um, you know, even after you've recovered and you're, you feel better. But um, you know, the level of um, uh, being contagious is most right before you fall sick and then after the onset of symptoms. So I am pretty confident that I can go out in the world and, and not infect anyone else. But, you know, at the same time, I am being a little bit careful. There have been a few cases of reinfection. Um, I'm not going out and going to big public events. I'm not doing a lot of gatherings with friends. And as you may or may not know, our Governor Jay Inslee yesterday um, canceled events of 250 people or more. So there's no big sporting events or concerts or music uh, performances or you know um, theatrical productions that I'm going to go um, you know be a part of. Right. Um, but you know it is very interesting. Like you know these are very interesting times with the school closures and people working from home. I myself am working from home. We were told to work through work from home for the rest of March. Um, you know and you know, all travel to Europe is is banned. So that's um, that's very you know. So you bring you bring um, a really good point here. It's like these are unprecedented actions that are happening by our federal, international governments. Uh, I myself, I have two young children. Our our schools closed. Uh, my wife and I are going to become home teachers now. Uh, this is <laughs> this is real. And one of the things, um, if I were to say a positive has come from coronavirus in this this global uh, situation is is the, the humility that comes, the disruption of daily life, the adversaries, the political parties, the international uh, conflicts. If anything, it's bringing us all, everyone down back to the basics of life. And 
hopefully some good will come from this, some unity will come from this. We are uh, traveling in a one world marketplace now because of the internet, information and the way it's distributed. But at the end of the day, we're all human beings, we're all people. We all want what's good for our generation and the next. And this is something that has really been unprecedented, not just nationally, but internationally, bringing the world together around a common goal. And I don't think anyone uh, wants anything but getting this uh, resolved and a handle on it. And, and to, to kind of wrap up here, Elizabeth, on the coronavirus discussion, in your opinion, what is it about this particular pandemic that's causing the reaction that's happening where the, the past ones that we talked about, the past viruses didn't have this sort of chain reaction effect from Asia to North America. What are your thoughts on that? So I think in this case, the virus spreads very, very easily. Um, it's, and it, it, it's very virulent when it does spread. And, and case in point is the case of myself and my friends who were at this party. So we were at a party, no one was visibly sick. And just three days later, so an incubation period of only three days, we all got sick. And if you just think about the journey that this virus had to take, you know, to get from Wuhan, China, all the way to this house party in Seattle, Washington, in, in a matter of weeks. I mean, it's basically become a little stowaway that's hopping along from person to person, just from minor interactions. Like, you know, let's say I, you know, coughed into my hand and then I shook hands with someone or pat them on the back. And so I think that the level of transmission and virulence of this has sort of been um, unprecedented compared to those other ones that you mentioned. And I think the fact that, um, you know, I think that it has spread so quickly and caught our healthcare systems and governments much off guard. Mm -hmm. So that I think has been um, another reason why this has become such a big deal. There's a lack of testing facilities available. There's confusion about where to get tested. Um, you know, communication is sort of changing from day to day and minute to minute. Um, the left hand is not necessarily talking to the right hand. So I think um, this has been, you know, to pardon my French, it's been a little bit of a clusterfuck, um, you know, in terms of our, you know, healthcare system, our, you know, um, government, our, um, you know, agencies like the CDC that monitor public health. Right. So in wrapping up, Elizabeth, if I were to walk out that door behind you and look out at, at Seattle, what's it like on the streets there? Is it, is it pretty desolate? How's, how's your community responding to this? Yeah, that's a great question. So unfortunately, right now, because this is Seattle, it's cloudy and it's still cold outside, even though it's um, beginning to be spring. But it is um, quiet. Um, I parallel park on my street and normally during the day like this, if I was working from home, I'd have no trouble getting a parking spot. It's really hard to get a parking spot. A lot of restaurants are closed. A lot of bars are closed. Um, so I went out to grab lunch yesterday and, you know, called a Mexican restaurant near my house and was very, very happy that they were open um, and I could order food from them. But other places are closing up and the impact of that is a lot of hourly wage workers are really being severely impacted and affected. All of the food trucks that normally service all of the workers in South Lake Union or near the Microsoft campus in Redmond aren't making money. They're not out and about. And so, you know, it's definitely a little bit eerie. Um, I haven't been to downtown Seattle myself, but I've been watching the news reports and it seems um, like it's very quiet, a little bit of a ghost town right now. Right. 
Well, Elizabeth, uh, this has been invaluable. This information is going to help and impact thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of lives, not just in the Internet Marketing Association, the IEC, our general communities uh, that we serve, not just nationally, but internationally. I'm very thankful. And a saying I always say, whether it's at our conferences or in our newsletter, you know, leadership is about action, not position. You could be a director of marketing. You could be the CEO. You could be an intern. What you're doing here is leadership, and I'm very proud of you. I just met you on LinkedIn, and here you are <laughs> on my show. And typically, I have a 30-day prep time with my subjects, and I'm, I'm very uh, thankful for you. And the IMA Global Community put our arms around you, and, and we're going to have you at our, our conference in October, invite you as our guest. And this is leadership, and we are a cross between digital marketing and organizational leadership, and what you're doing personifies it at its, at its best. So I wish you continued success, both in your health, your career. I know we're going to get through this as a, as a, as a team, as a family, and uh, you know, thank you again for sharing your knowledge and your experience with, with our uh, viewers, and we'll be back in touch with you. Great. Yeah, I really enjoyed being on and sharing my story. Thank you. Talk to you later. Thank you.